Today on the Daily Scoop podcast, another step in the evolution of the military's most important tech project. What this working group does and, and the role it will play on the CFT is really focusing on that technical aspect of ensuring that there are things like cloud communications, satellite communications, terrestrial networks. The government's tech talent gap isn't limited to just one category. You need the people who are able to talk to the business owners, but you but you also need the folks who lay their hands on the keyboard. And the path forward for all three priorities in the president's management agenda. They all need to be translated into, into real actionable steps and, and milestones and who's going to do what and when and how. It's Wednesday, November 24th. 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Office of Management and Budget has nominees now for two of its top jobs. The Biden administration nominated Shalanda Young to become OMB director and Nani Coloretti to become deputy director. Young's been deputy director and acting director since March. Coloretti was deputy secretary of HUD and assistant secretary for management at Treasury in the Obama administration. The administration's new diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy includes five foundational principles agencies should adopt. The strategy says agencies should choose chief diversity officers to implement those principles. The principles include data and evidence-based decision-making, continuous improvement, collaborative whole-of-agency mandates, prioritizing accountability and sustainability, and understanding the workforce and agency customers. The main organization working to implement one of the military's top modernization priorities has a new group to execute that vision. Jackson Barnett of FedScoop is writing about it at FedScoop.com. Jackson, welcome. What's going on here with the Joint All-Domain Command and Control Cross-Functional Team? Welcome. So the CFT uh, cross-functional team is comprised of several working groups. Originally it was five, now it's six, and the most recent one is a transport and warfighter communications working group. Essentially they're going to be focused on some of the technical aspects of sending data across the world to very uh, hospitable locations the military operates in. What does this do for the broader mission of JADC2 to connect all of the data and all the information that all the services have together? It's been explained to me as uh, any shooter can see any data anytime. Exactly, exactly. So what this working group does and, and the role it will play on the CFT is really focusing on that technical aspect of ensuring that there are things like cloud communications, satellite communications, terrestrial networks, other types of communication systems that the military uses to send data, to talk on radios, to do everything that you just described there with having every shooter and every sensor being connected in the internet of things. The other item in your story, it's not related to the new group, but it struck me as interesting. You write, the CFT will work through the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center to leverage its authorities to convene industry and start to get companies on contracts to begin delivering products. Mm Is that new or is that just something I didn't know before? It is new. It is new. So uh, Jake has the statutory authority to issue contracts and to work with industry. Uh, The CFT does not. It's just a cross-functional team essentially of borrowed individuals from across the department. Um, So for companies and individuals who are interested in participating in both developing the technology and concepts, the 
the Jake is going to be the kind of go-to place for that. A lot more in your story on fedscoop.com. Jackson Barnett, thanks very much. Yep, thank you. You can read Jackson's story and more about all of these headlines and lots of other stories at fedscoop.com. A scheduling note, you'll get the next new Daily Scoop podcast after the Thanksgiving holiday next Monday, the 29th. Justin Marsico of the Treasury Department's on the show. His agency's in the middle of a data migration to the cloud. He'll tell you what they're doing and how. A digital services academy that functions like the military service academies could help the federal government close its digital gap, according to the Government Accountability Office. My colleague Dave Nitschpier writes at fedscoop.com, the academy could provide brain power for functions like modernization, cybersecurity, and data. Karen Britton is chief digital officer at LMI. She's former chief information officer in the executive office of the president at the White House. Karen, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program today. What do you see in this idea, the concept, if not the specific proposal, to develop a digital service academy that would serve the federal government? Welcome. Thank you, Francis, for having me. So glad to talk about this important topic. This is certainly something that is definitely necessary. We are seeing um, federal government needs more and more leaning in on digital services, uh, improving our digital platforms and our digital IQ. Um, So to the point that you're raising, there's so many challenges out there, not the least of which is the the gap in the skills piece, but also from an infrastructure perspective, having these antiquated legacy systems, uh, managing in the cyberspace, understanding emerging technologies and like the new risks landscape, and just having a process in place to uh, recruit, train, grow, develop, and retain workforce. So um, I think with regards to the Digital Academy, we really need to establish a broad reach to acquire the pipeline of digital service workers to better meet not only today's needs, but the future needs across the federal enterprise in this space. It strikes me too, Karen, the big problem is we need people, we need a volume, of course, but we need quality too. We need people at pretty advanced, pretty accelerated levels of capability and not just people, not just kids who are coming out of college who are coming in to be GS7s. There aren't that many GS7s anymore. We need people who are able to come in at the 11, 12, 13 level that have already really good credentials. And that's where it strikes me the the potential benefit is here. Am I on the right track, do you think? I think you are. Um, yes, we we will do an outreach and get some of those early career professionals who need, you know, coaches and mentors and just understanding how to operate in the federal space. Um, you know, but there are other ways that we can be creative. Um, I remember when I was serving as um, CIO at Executive Office of the President um, under the Obama administration, we wanted to bring in top tech talent, but people who had the depth and breadth, to your point. And, um, and there, there are... Um, avenues for that, uh, such as uh, Presidential Innovation Fellows is one that I hearken back to. And what was really neat about that was when a cohort was brought in, uh, each and every program or leader who wanted to get a fellow 
we actually had to pitch specific projects that we were interested in, um, that we needed their support and for them to come in and actually take ownership and have a meaty project for these fellows to work on. And, and so they were selecting us as much as we had selected them. And as fellows, they could come in, they could, they could test the water and later on apply for permanent positions. But this was just one example of something to the point you're raising, Francis, where you get at that intermediate level and people who've had experiences in industry who can bring that subject matter expertise with them. So you mentioned the PIF program has made a big impact on the government. No question about that. I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about USDS. I'm thinking about 18F, the digital services organizations at, at the individual agencies, and now this possible digital services academy. Is there a risk? Do you worry at all that the idea can get too dispersed across the government? We wind up with silos in the digital services talent acquisition idea the same way that we have in other aspects of technology across government, Karen? Well, it, it, it can be. Um, you know, we tried to apply USDS to some of those projects that were in the red and at risk of going off the rails. So we tried to ignite into the most problematic areas. And we saw some advancements with, you know, the kind of people coming in with the expertise that they needed. Um, but, but overall, I think your point is well taken because we, we don't want, you know, disparate areas that are going to work. Ultimately, um, with regards to something like a digital academy, OPM um, is, is going to have to step back and really look at how we're, you know, streamlining the hiring process um, to, to, to ensure that, you um, we move with depth and speed and also that HR professionals are appropriately trained so that we're taking advantage of all the hiring authorities that are needed across, whether it's programs like the PIV, whether it's recent graduates, whether it's interns, we need to reduce average time to hire. We need to make sure that we're appropriately compensating because let's face facts, um, People are going to come in and want to do real mission innovative work. They are not necessarily going to work for the government for 20 or 30 years, but we're, we want to recruit this talent so that they can come in and have a, a worthy project. And again, go back to what we were talking about before, building the digital IQ and in, in improving the, the, the citizen-focused of the agencies to really meet the needs of our American public. You just used a term there that you wrote in the email that I sent to you, or that you sent back to me when I invited you to come on the program, and that is building the digital IQ of the federal government. Give me a definition of what that term means and help me figure out what, who needs to do what in order to do that, Karen. So, when I use the term building digital IQ, everybody comes at you know different levels. I think it's important to design a digital services academy in a way that has a broad reach. Not everyone is, is going to have the same technical level. We, we're at 
you know, different gradients in our career. I mean, I hearken back to learning like Fortran and COBOL. And I know I'm dating myself, but, you know, so essentially you have different personas, right, Francis? You have people who might be at, you know, a digital, at a practitioner level, let's say, for example, they understand the terminology of AI and ML. They understand the definitions. They, you know, they can operate using a, a cell phone and a laptop and, and move in that space. But but you have that versus someone who is at the opposite end of the spectrum, who is um, a digital architect, as an example, someone who, you know, eats, breathes, sleeps, all things technology related, their solutions architect. And then you have digital builders, people who are, you know, they, they kind of keep their hands on the keyboard. They're very much building the applications, building the infrastructure. So because we have this broad spectrum, this broad plethora of, of people at different levels, when we talk about the IQ, everyone's going to come in at a specific stage, and then we're going to have to talk about how we build that across. You need the people who are able to talk to the business owners you, but you but you also need the folks who lay their hands on the keyboard. And so that's that's kind of what I mean when I say across the spectrum, um, growing and enhancing this this IQ. You talked a, a couple of minutes ago about the idea of the interaction between the technology organizations in the government and the human capital organizations in the federal government. This is not just a technology problem, is it? This is a problem for uh, HR people to collaborate with technology people in order to fix, right? Right, 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 right. It it, it totally is. So, uh, and we we tend to go to the easy part, which is the technology piece first and foremost. So, as we're looking to number one, streamline hiring processes, and as I would say, as the o- OPM director um, Kiran Ahuja, what she is looking at is You've got to think across about um, not only the hiring practices, but let's face it, what are the challenges with the workforce that we're in today? We are in a hybrid workforce. We're never going to go back after this um, seismic global pandemic change that really changed the way we work, the way we operate. So we've got to look at how we're recruiting, where we're going to recruiting, are we... um, diversifying the talent in the space, uh, along with that top tech talent? Are we getting people who are mission oriented, who will come in and not only understand the mission of the agencies, but what part they have in improving and enhancing? So um, that all needs to be incorporated throughout the whole, I would say, recruitment and selection process. And I, I think the challenge is on OPM and working with OMB to execute this across the agencies. Karen, great concepts, great ideas. Thanks very much for coming on to share them with me today. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Francis. I appreciate it. You can read more about the proposal for a digital service academy in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. A huge list of tech stars is coming to the Security Transformation Summit Thursday, December 2nd. Speakers from CISA, the Defense Digital Service, NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, and a lot of other federal agencies will be at this virtual event. You can see the agenda and 
sign up now through the link in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The new president's management agenda vision includes three main focus areas for agencies. The first priority, strengthening and empowering the federal workforce. Chris Mim is adjunct professor of public administration at the Maxwell School at Syracuse University. He's former managing director for strategic issues at the Government Accountability Office. Chris, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What's the difference in your view between a president's management agenda vision as the administration released last week and a full-blown P? Welcome. Well, thank you, Francis. And as always, it's it's great to, to be on the show with you. I think the, the biggest difference between a, a the vision and the actual PMA is what the vision is is does at this point is it gives a, a path forward. It's a statement of a series of intentions. And as they, or as the administration puts it in the vision, it's a it's a roadmap. Now, what has to happen, and they also say this, is that this the priorities and strategies need to be translated into specific targets with designated officials. You know, the, the basic project management and program management of this still needs to be fleshed out. It struck me that there was actually a lot here, though, for a vision. It was more than an outline. It wasn't a full-blown president's management agenda, but it was more than just a framework. Priority one, strengthening and empowering the federal workforce. And then when you go through the slides there, there are three steps about how they expect to do it and a lot of information about what the expectations broadly for agencies are. Um, you know, they have uh, the, the four strategies underneath just the first priority. So it looks like there's already a, a good indicator here. If I'm running an agency or I'm running a part of an agency, what the expectations will be for me. Yeah, very much. And, and you know, I was, I, I was glad to see, I mean, the last time I was on the podcast in early October, we talked about what may be in the PMA. And indeed, we, we at that point, we discussed human capital because it's such a longstanding issue. And so it's not surprising to see it as, as one of the centerpiece priorities that they have there. And I agree, they, they do lay out a, a set of very thoughtful strategies. Now, they're consistent with a lot of the things that have been said in the past, you know, because and that's not a criticism in any sense. It's because these are our longstanding issues. I think one of the, the the big strengths that they have is the statement up front of the set of values of of equity and dignity, and of course, you know, results and accountability. And so, um, and seeing that infused across the agenda is is a very powerful uh, approach that they're they're taking. And then, likewise, I think it's also important that we're seeing that there's the the commitment. To, to, to working together and using the, both the PMC, which actually signed off on all of this, obviously, in both a, a literal and figurative sense, um, but also in using the president and the, the various other interagency councils, working with stakeholders, taking, as the administration says, a, a whole of government approach to these. The human capital one is so important because, as, as you know from the, the GAO high risk list, is that it's, uh, critical skills gap has been uh, get gaps across the government, has been on the high risk list since 2001. And then 22 of the remaining 35 high-risk areas, a root cause of that is a critical skills gap. So if we can make progress just on that area of critical skills gap, we'll, we'll make progress and really turn the needle, as it were, and, or uh, move the needle, as it were, on, uh, on government performance throughout the agencies. What is your sense of improvement, uh, lack of improvement, or neutrality in progress among those councils that you referred to as far as their ability to interact with each other and exchange information with each other? I think sadly it's been very uneven, and that you know we were, were in the past we have seen that the councils, when used effectively and appropriately, 
can really be very powerful devices for an administration and for agencies to identify problems, for build capacity, for pilot testing um, solutions. Um, where they've been ineffective, they've been basically just, you know, quarterly or once every other month meetings in which, you know, kind of the agency people get together and hear from the central management agency and, you know, just some some notices on, you know, in the case of the human capital one on the on the upcoming CFC or something like that. And, and you know, that's, that's not an effective use of anyone's time or anyone's capacity. So the key thing I think will be to make sure that we actually use these as both problem identification and problem solving devices, because they, they have the ability to do that if done, if used effectively. The second priority is delivering excellent, equitable and secure federal services and customer experience. Just the fact that the words customer experience are in the second priority in the PMA vision is significant to me, Chris, because it wasn't that long ago, as you well know, and in fact educated me, that wasn't the way the federal government thought about dealing with citizens at all, was it? Yeah, not at all. And I, and I agree. This is a this is a big deal, and it's a it's a carryover from some of the other administrator, you know, previous administrations. And and again, that's that's a positive. You know, that's an attribute to uh, to what they're trying to do, as well as they deepen it. You know, it's not just a you know customer satisfaction, but entire customer experience. You know, Don Kettle has written recently that you know one of the strengths that he sees on this is the fact that they're beginning to organize the customer experience around the various life cycle or life events that each of us have. It's that great line that you know it's it's also in the vision that we as citizens we we don't live in agents or in federal funding streams, you know, and so if agencies want to be effective in dealing with this, they need to understand we're in communities, we have major life events, and then approach us from that standpoint. So let me take that in a different direction, I think, than people have been taking it about the discussion around the president's management agenda. You studied the reorganization and potential reorganization of agencies a lot in your career at the Government Accountability Office. And you're one of the big guns on this. You'd probably know that issue better than anybody walking around. Is it possible that that concept that Don laid out, and it's a great uh, article that he wrote, uh, is it possible that does the work of reorganizing the federal government without moving any boxes, without moving any reporting chains, without any of that stuff? If it's done well, is it possible that does the reorg that people have been talking about really for decades, Chris? Very much is that you know in in many cases it's the the reorg is a is a knee jerk reaction especially of of new political leadership you know because they want to do something you know and they'll so they'll come in they'll see some problems they'll kind of move some boxes around a colleague used to call that boxology you know kind of just moving the the org the boxes around the org chart um, and then and then thinking okay we've dealt with the problem. Where in reality, most of the issues that we confront are things that if we just improve the relationships and work, working relationships across organizations, we're going to be far more effective. And of course, technology allows you to do that, you know, much more easily than it did in the past, you know, where where you really did have to think about, do we need to merge organizations or merge, you know, merge functions? Now with technology, it can do all of that for you. I mean, this is, you know, has a lot of this has come out of the, the local governments with the whole 311, where you just, you know, you put in your problem and then the back office or the technology decides which department in the local government needs to deal with it. It doesn't force you as the citizen to have to navigate, you know, organizational stovepipes. Are the stovepipes so bad, though, in the federal government, Chris, that that type of back office, that type of technology skin might not work in the federal government? Or is all of this manageable? Is all of this doable if we just really lean in? And, and start to pick away at the problem. 
I think it's in some cases it's it's we you know reorganization makes sense you know and and that uh, um, and so that's not always off the table. I think we need to first make sure that it's not the knee jerk reaction. Um, but the, the second thing is is that there there are certainly instances in which those organizational stovepipes are so hard and so reinforced that either the top of the executive branch or sometimes Congress needs to really get in and, in a sense, crack some heads on this. We've seen that in, in issues of personnel security clearances. We've seen that on DOD and, and VA on uh, uh, veterans' health records, um, where for years and years and years, they've been talking about the need to kind of get together and work on this. And, and yet, you know, you just can't can't kind of see, see their way through that. Um, so there are certainly instances in which the, the definition of collaboration is always, yes, I'm willing to collaborate as long as you, you know, adopt what I'm doing in whole cloth. Um, that's not, you know, effective collaboration. So you need, you know, top leadership either in the Congress or in the executive branch to make that happen. I'm pleased to count you as a friend. So please understand, I'm not picking on you, but I had this vision when you looked at the third priority that you just kind of put your hands on your waist, stood up at your desk, looked down at your computer and went, oh, that's beautiful. This is just so great because the third priority is managing the business of government to build back better. And I'm separating out the build back better part because that's the name of President Biden's signature legislation. It's not around that, but just the fact that the third priority is associated with managing the business of government. I just have this vision of that really warming your heart, Chris. Yes, it's, it's, sadly, those are the types of things that warm my heart. <laughs> no, that's not sad. That's great. That's why we. That's why we do this, isn't it? <laughs> but uh, but but yeah, it's it's it, when we think about it, you know, direct service delivery from the from the federal government, and so certainly the 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 high impact service providers is an important initiative under the customer experience. But direct service delivery is a small and declining part of what the federal government does. It works through third parties, and the recognition of the third priority is that those third parties are contractors and grants. You know, and it's you know as they they say in the uh, in the vision, it's well over a trillion dollars a year. And so if we can streamline and make more effective the grants making and financial financial assistance and procurement aspects of the federal government, we're going to just in those areas end up improving the overall performance of the federal government. Because these two that are underneath it, then I imagine if if my vision was correct, then you must have really geeked out on these two strategies that are underneath priority three. Foster lasting improvements in the federal acquisition system. Who talks about that? Uh, and the second one was build capacity in federal financial management and through federal financial assistance. Who talks about this stuff? This is why I guess I get as excited maybe as you do. Well, maybe that's not possible about the PMA whenever it comes out, Chris. Well, the, and the, the, the beauty also of those areas is, it, is that it shows the beauty and the challenge, I should say, is it shows the linkage between those areas and the first priority. Because in both cases, improvements to federal acquisition is going to have to improve the, the acquisition workforce. And of course, there's been a big focus on that in over the last few years. There hasn't been an equivalent focus on improving the, the workforce in grants management, grants administration. And that there really there have been efforts on that. But as my colleagues and the former colleagues in the GAO showed, is that there's there's an, hasn't been nearly a, the attention that's needed on that. So again, if we can make progress on that first initiative, dealing with human capital and the mission critical skills gaps we're going to make progress on the acquisition workforce and the grants workforce as well i just love that you have not retired from the arena you've only retired from gao chris it's hard isn't it you still yes. think about them as your colleagues even though they're your former colleague keep, keep checking myself <laughs> what's kind of the next step in your view 
I think we certainly ought to see a full-blown PMA, and that is with with the, the the specifics behind those strategies, they're, they're very good statements of intent that they have in the vision now, but they all need to be translated into, into real actionable steps and, and milestones and who's going to do what and when and how. Um, we ought to see that in a full-blown PMA. And then we do need to, as you pointed out, see that translated into, into the budget documents as well, because that's where the resource commitments are made and that's where it becomes real. It's great to talk to you, my friend. Thanks for coming on today. Thank you. My pleasure, Francis. You can find a link to the President's Management Agenda Vision in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Treasury Department's Justin Marsico is on Monday's program after the Thanksgiving holiday. Have a great holiday. Until then, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.